Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Bishop Heather Shea at the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. It was my co-host, Reverend Dr. Jose Roman. Today we'll explore Unity Church with Unity's own Reverend Jackie Fernandez. Thank you for joining us. And Jackie, we were talking before the show began about the, the difference between Unity the headquarters and the ministries. Can you explain that a little bit and also your role at the headquarters? Absolutely. So I serve Unity World Headquarters as Director of Multimedia Services. And both organizations, Unity World Headquarters and Unity Worldwide Ministries, are located on campus at Unity Village. So there are two Unity organizations that, you know, sort of are sister organizations. And Unity Worldwide Ministries um, holds the all of the credentialing and ordination responsibilities and also memberships for the churches. So our seminary, which is now fully online and is called Unity World Wide Spiritual Institute is also operated by Unity Worldwide Ministries. Then Unity World Headquarters, the organization that I work for, handles all of the publishing for magazines and books. You may have heard of Daily Word Magazine, Unity Magazine, and we also have Silent Unity, which is the 24-hour, seven days a week prayer um, ministry, worldwide prayer ministry. So you can call in or email uh, for prayer support, and there, there's someone there to answer and the phones. And then we also, of course, have events on campus, and we do um, sometimes cruises for groups that want to, you know, travel together and, and take unity trips. So we offer, um, you know, weddings, of course, on campus. There are hotels and Airbnbs. We have a golf course on campus. There are nature trails. I mean, it's, it's really just a gorgeous place, you know, a, a true spiritual retreat. Thank you. I've heard it's just glorious. You have a beautiful rose garden as well. So yes. Where, where is where is the village? So Unity Village is located um, just outside of Lee Summit, Missouri. So just southeast of Kansas City proper. And um, it, yeah, there's a, a, a water tower that's a stone water tower that with an observation deck on top. And, you know, we have, you know, Kansas City, if you know anything about Kansas City, is a city of fountains. And Unity Village has um, the longest fountain structure in Kansas City. So that our courtyard where the Rose Garden is and, and our fountains with the Bridge of Faith, I mean, it's just, it's breathtaking. So, yeah. Reverend Jackie, tell us a little bit um, about the history of the church. Okay. Well, Unity was actually not started as a religious organization or as a church, if you will. That sort of grew out of the movement. And so you'll often hear we refer to the Unity movement. And and as such, um, as you could imagine, you know, being a young uh, denomination, which is even sort of a controversial term within the movement, um, people don't like to... Um, 
really give the impression that we have dogma or that we're as organized as a denomination or as structured as one might be. But we certainly have, um, I think, over 600 churches worldwide and um, and operate in, in that way you know, realistically, like on the ground, you can go to a unity church probably in your city or nearby. And, um, but it started by Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, who were really looking to start a movement uh, for, to take teachings, metaphysical teachings um, that were really rooted in healing and prayer treatment uh, for the purpose of healing for anyone to come and learn these teachings and then take them back to their churches. So Myrtle was a Methodist and I think she was a Methodist till the day she died, even though she, of course, over time became ordained as a unity minister, was first ordained as a religious science minister. Um, So they um, were really into um, especially Charles Fillmore, was really into studying lots and lots of spiritual paths, other religions, and really pulled in um, teachings from Eastern and Western religions to to what we call new thought and to unity teaching. So we, one of our, I think, um, something that we are all very proud of is that we honor all paths to God and we aren't an exclusive religion. You don't have to describe yourself as Christian, even though we basically have our roots in Christianity because we do study um, Jesus as our way shower, as our master teacher. Um, and, and there are some people in unity who do not choose to describe themselves as Christians because of how that term is sort of used in our society now and sort of has been co-opted by the religious right. And there are definite differences in, in how we interpret what it means to be Christian. So, um, so there's a lot of room for self-identification within the movement. Um, but really what, you know, of course, what we all agree on is that our, our core teachings and, and, the, and the root of how the movement grew was out of healing. Myrtle had was a, was a sickly child, as described, and had tuberculosis and, and was basically told she would be an invalid uh, for her whole life and sort of lived as such. Now, she was also kind of a feminist. She uh, went to Oberlin College. She didn't uh, meet Charles until she was 30. So she was not married. You know, she was born in 1845. So not not common for a woman to, to not be married and, and to be, you know, her own person. She was a teacher and a very good school teacher, a wonderful writer. I mean, her writing mm-hmm. was just beautiful. And uh, she met Charles when she was 30 and they uh, sort of grew a friendship over like three or four years and exchanged letters when he moved. She was in Denison, Texas, and he moved to Colorado. And, um, you know, and her letters are quite feisty, you know, they, and they, they, they had this spiritual connection and he did not have, you know, she, as I said, she was Methodist and he was more of a seeker. So he, even though would maybe attend church with his mother, he um, was really didn't want to be told what to think. And he wanted to, you know, seek and ask, and he tried a lot of religions out and he wanted to have that experience for himself to come to his own conclusions about truth and the ideas of truth. But, you know, I think um, using their own words is, is really enlightening and illuminating as to who they were. So there's a letter that while they were courting um, that, that Myrtle wrote to Charles and it starts with, you question my orthodoxy. So, you know, like, I want to know what he said to her to kind of sort of light her up. You know, you question my orthodoxy. You know, I am decidedly eclectic in my spiritual, in my theology. And is it not my right to be? 
you know, I mean, so she was mm. coming right back at him. Right, and, absolutely. You know, yeah, and so, you know, I think it's just, you know, really delightful to to have a movement that grew out of, you know, the minds of two people who were so um, open and willing to, you know, challenge each other and, and, and um, work with spiritual principles and ideas. And so what happened was they, um, of course, eventually got married and, and had children, and Myrtle, what, her health was sort of up and down. And they went to, they, they had begun studying metaphysics with Emma Curtis, um, Curtis Tompkins and, you know, some of the other teachers of the day. And um, they went to a lecture by E.B. Weeks and Myrtle heard him say, um, you are a child of God, therefore you do not inherit sickness. And that just stuck with her. And it, that was a turning point in her life. And so she began to work with the, that, that idea and those thoughts. And she began to pray and meditate for a couple of years. And what she did, as, as she describes herself, is she began to speak to the cells of her body. And she began to speak words of life into the cells of her body. And she began to speak gratitude. So you can see where the shift in her mind of having been told and believed that she was sickly and would be an invalid and not have a full life to shifting and, and really focusing her thoughts into life in each and every cell and gratitude for this body that, you know, she grew up believing was turned against her into really opening to a full um, God expression. So Charles being the thinker and the, the one who wants to prove things is like, well, if she can do it, Anybody can do it. And so right. he began to work with the ideas and he had um, a leg that had, I think from childhood, it was described as a withered leg. And I don't really know what that means, but he began to work on growing his leg and healing it. And there were improvements in that leg. So it was, you know, and then they began to um, start meeting in small groups and to have prayer and, and to begin teaching this idea of being able to heal from within, which of course now science has caught up with. Right. And we have right. Math and Joe Dispenza and Bruce Lipton, Lipton, all these people who are working with the power of thought over the physical world and the physical being. Now, my understanding is that through the evolution of, of uh, the Unity Church um, uh, movement, what's happened is that it's a lot of the, if you will, the belief system is basically captured in what I believe are five major tenets, correct? Yes, the five principles. The five principles. What, one of the things I'd love to be able to do is maybe I can state each principle as I understand it, as I understand it, and maybe you can comment briefly on each one, allowing our viewers and our listeners maybe a deeper understanding of each principle. Is that okay? Yeah, let's do it. Fantastic. Let's go. The first one is that there is one creator God who is source of all. One power, one presence, God, the good. And there's so much packed into that, you know, one power, one presence in the universe. And so even by saying it that way, you know, you're not required to refer to that presence as God. You know, there's, there's like I mentioned, you know, we sort of shy away from dogma and really want to allow people to come to the knowing of the divine and that one power, one presence in the universe on their own. And, and to by whatever name you call it, you know, call it and, and to, to recognize that and, and then to qualify that presence as good, God, the good. The other principle is human beings are spiritual in our nature. We are created in God's image. God lives in us. 
Yes, and you'll hear oftentimes the spark of the divine, that we each have a spark of the divine. And, you know, where there's a spark, there's light. And, you know, and that so God is good and people are good and and that that is our true nature. And so you will often hear, too, in unity settings that we are born in original blessing, which, you know, as I mentioned before, so we have some differences in how other Christian denominations interpret, you know, scripture and, you know, as we read it, you know, created in the likeness and image of God, and then God blessed them, male and female, as he made them, that that is, we are born in original blessing. And and that is a game changer for how we, how we come to ourself and how we come to the divine. The next one seems to almost connect for me, these first two. And that is that our thinking creates the life we live. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, our outer reality is created by what happens inside our brain, right? Our inner reality. And so it does absolutely connect those two, that experience and understanding of the divine presence and knowing that that divine is in me expressing in the world. And I, as I think I create my reality and and really what's at the core of that is that we are co-creators with the divine because if the divine is that spark animating each of us then we are indeed co-creating our life path with that presence the next principle affirmative prayer is a way of establishing our connection to god Absolutely. Through prayer and meditation, we, um, that's how we connect and commune with the divine. And that's how we come into alignment with, uh, you know, so often our thoughts want to go take a hard left from the truth. Um, and so when we come into that communion with the divine, then we, we come into alignment and, and, and it sort of feeds back in my mind to that third principle that we are you know, co-creating. Um, so in order to do that well, I want to be in alignment with the divine and I want to be open to divine inspiration. And I want to apply corrective thought therapy when, when my thoughts might, you know, try to convince me that I'm not worthy or I'm not capable or that I live in a, in a world that um, doesn't have enough of what I need, that I, I come into alignment with truth, that, that the universe is abundant and that God is abundance that is, is working in and through my life. So uh, an affirmative prayer is the idea that we work with, with truth statements and with what is. So rather than um, working with negative ideas and negative thoughts and, and sort of beseeching and begging God to correct our lives, that we come to to, to what is true based on our understanding of God and affirm that. So in the same way that Myrtle was speaking life into her cells, you know, as opposed to, um, you know, please God take the sickness out and, you know, oh, these sick, unhealthy cells, they just need to be gone. It's, you know, but each cell in my body has life and, and has that life source in it. And so affirming what's true and bringing that forward so that it grows. The final principle, I think, um, is remarkably powerful because it says that making the spiritual principles that we just spoke to a part of our lives can lead to transformation. Absolutely. This is where the rubber meets the road, right? This is where we live the truth we know. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, all good and great to to ascribe or to believe or to, you know, work with those first four principles. But if we aren't living the truth that we know, then then we are, you know, not really fully participating in it. So um, 
yeah, that's that's really where we bring into action everything that we have uncovered and come into alignment uh, with through the prayer and through the understanding of of our right relationship with the divine. Say, say a little bit more about that because you know, how do how do you do the practices? You've talked a little bit about um, meditation. You've talked about prayer, and and I love the term spiritual practice. But okay, so I'm I'm interested in unity, and I I think this is something that sounds compelling to me. How would I bring this into my daily life? Oh, there's so many really cool tools that we work with. And I'll say like the first kind of tool that you would be introduced to are the use of denials and affirmations. And so affirmations are pretty, you know, pretty commonly used in the world now. It's, you know, even in, in public schools, you know, my kids will get affirmations to say and, you know, and they're positive statements. Um, in Unity, we we take it a little... Um, not necessarily formally, but um, we just want to be mindful about the words that we use because we believe that our words have power and, um, and, and creative power. And that that's really taken from the idea that, that because God, you know, used creative power, the voice as is described in the Bible, that, that we have that same creative and generative power in our own voice. So what we would do in, in terms of working with affirmative prayer and, and as a spiritual practice is deny what is not true and affirm what is true. So if I am in a situation where I'm feeling unworthy, I'll work with that because it's such a common thing, right? Where I'm feeling like <clears throat> I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, I'm not um, you know, worthy of someone else's love and appreciation and time. Um, so those are, those are false thoughts. You know, those just simply aren't true. If I am a beloved child of God and I have the spark of the divine in me and, and God is animating me and, and through each, every moment, then, then those things can't actually be true. Right. But our minds will convince us of that. Our life experiences will certainly um, sometimes support those thoughts. So, what we have to do is as a spiritual practice, deny those thoughts and not like be in denial. Like, you know, we don't want to be in denial of what's true. This is denying the power that those experiences or thoughts have over us. So I may be in in an unhealthy relationship where someone is telling me all of the time that I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy and I do everything wrong. Okay. So that's a real experience. I'm not in denial about that experience, but what I deny is that, those words have no power over me, that those ideas have no power over the truth of who I am. So I first have to deny that. And once I deny that in a a clear space for something, and what we know about the universe is the universe abhors a vacuum, does not want a space. Something will come in and fill that space. So what I want to do is get right in it and, and fill that space with affirmative affirmations, with what's true. And what is true is that I am the beloved child of God, of the one power presence in the universe. Therefore, I am lovable. I am worthy. I am capable. Whatever it is that is a truth statement that I need to, um, to fill and to treat my thoughts with, is, is what I use as that affirmation. So you can make up your own affirmations. And of course, there are plenty out there. Um, Myrtle, Emily, Katie, lots of Unity teachers um, have provided affirmations. So you know, if you, if you get the Daily Word magazine, there are affirmations every day that are available. Um, but you can create your own affirmation as well. So the idea is first clear the space to remove what is error thought, the thoughts that are not true and that would you know, keep us away from our own truth and out of alignment. With, with that truth. And then to fill that, that, that space that is then created with truth statements. 
So that's how we come into alignment with the divine. And sometimes, you know, depending on how bad the situation is, you know, and especially if it's illness, um, you know, if there's some, you know, something just, you know, our human experiences can just be really terrible sometimes. And so I don't mean to say that or to imply that it's really just that easy. You know, I mean, you know, Myrtle sat in prayer and meditation for two years working with these healing statements. You know, it takes time and repetition and practice. That's why we call it practice, right? So right. it's, you know, something that is, you know, needs to be done over and over. And 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 what's powerful is that we can just have two, two short statements. This is, has no power over me. And this is what's true. And then I can just use that as repetition. I can use that in my prayer and meditation time. I can use it while I'm driving down the highway. You know, I can use it while I'm cleaning the house, you know, whatever. You know, Reverend Jackie, you've just clarified something that's really very important. Um, because I'm going to be very honest with you. Many people who have been exposed to this kind of thinking think that you are all, this is a criticism that's made, that you are all denying reality. And it's powerful what you've just said. You're not denying reality. If you've got a, um, a cancer, if you, if, if you have someone in your life that is toxic, if you're faced with a challenge, you acknowledge the truth of that phenomena in your life. What you are denying is that that has complete power over you, that that will define your reality. What you're denying is, is if you will, you're denying that phenomena power over your life. You are making Absolutely. the choice how you're responding to that phenomena. Am I correct? Yes, you are spot on. And that tells me I said it right. (laughs) That you know you're reflecting back. Because that that's absolutely true. And and it it, oftentimes um, what you might hear when they're misused that the practice of affirmations are like wishful thinking. It's what I want to be true. Like I'm just going to affirm that I'm going to win the million dollars when I play this next lottery ticket. Well, that's not an affirmation, right? That is wishful thinking. That's you know, that's just making a wish and putting it out there and, and go do that if you, if you want to do that. But, but to get into the truth of it is that right now I, the truth is I have everything I need and that I live in a fully abundant universe and I am, um, I, I have access to all abundance. That's what's true. And, you know, and how that looks in my life, you know, is, you know, it may not be about the lottery. You know, it may be about the wealth of friendship, the wealth of um, love. It may be about the wealth, and, and it may very well be about you know the the bottom line in my bank account. But um, yeah, it's very important to to work with with what is true of our experience because that's where our healing comes from, right? And and, and that's often where our um, our, our thoughts of powerlessness come from is in our experiences because the, the world will, you know, if, if we let it, it, it deprive of, of, deprive us of all of our power and, and thoughts of choice in our life. And I love that you brought it back to choice because it is about choosing to, um, to use truth and to, to make the choice of creating our reality, co-creating our reality with the divine. So if I, if I am sick with cancer, um, you know, I can just allow that to overrule my, my thinking, my sense of hope, my sense of life, my sense of, um, of sovereignty over my body and my, my being. Um, or I can deny that the cancer has that kind of power over me. And that's not to say I'm not sick. It's not to say I'm not having a cancer experience and I'm not having illness in my body because I am. But I deny the power that that has to, to control 
who I am and how I think and what I believe. Now, some of our viewers and our listeners may ask this, so I'm going to ask this. You, you, you're completely supportive of the medical community. You expect, you know, you, you go to doctors, you, you get your vaccinations, you, you, you yes. go through the whole process of yes. getting treatment when you're sick. The issue, though, Absolutely. is not that you don't get that, but they, to that, you add this remarkable power of your own mind and consciousness um, and attitude and the way in which that can also transform your health condition. Am I correct? Absolutely. And one of our favorite sayings is let God be in the medicine. Excellent. Let God be in the medicine. Yeah. So there's, you know, and of course, you know, lots of unity people will, uh, you know, um, pursue um, alternate, you know, medical therapies and, um, and, you know, natural therapies and, you know, Eastern medicine and, and all kinds of things. Like that. But there is no, there is no any teaching related to not seeking any kind of medical attention. Um, so it's more about working with the thoughts because it's not just the body, right? So the body um, experience is, is one piece of illness. That's one part of illness. But then what are we doing with our thoughts around that? And and we know, and science now backs up, that our thoughts very much have power to impact our physical experience as well. So it has to be part of that healing process. You, you mentioned... Um your the relationship that the church has to Christianity, and I'd like to clarify that a little bit for our viewers and our listeners. Um, what is that relationship? For example, how what is who is Jesus the Christ to members of the Unity Church? What is your relationship to the Christian tradition? Well, we are. Um we are born from a Christian tradition. And so the Fillmore's taught, you know, Charles Fillmore worked with scripture and, and applied metaphysical interpretation to the scripture so that we can lift meaning out of ancient text for our life today. And um, we see, we teach that Jesus Christ is the perfect, was the perfect expression of man. And so Jesus, the man was a man, just, a person, we can say, like the rest of us, and that as Jesus began his ministry and became Jesus Christ, that that is um, that Christ presence is the presence of of the divine that is in each and every one of us, and so that that movement of Jesus, you know, and and all the way through to the resurrection is um, his growing into the fullness of his Christ present of of, of his Christness, if you will. And so we see Jesus as our way shower, as our master teacher, and um, really um, pull his teachings as they're recorded in scripture as, you know, as our core teachings as well, and as, you know, guidance for how to live life. And, you know, and really what Jesus was doing was, was that very same thing. He was reinterpreting his scripture. You know, he was challenging the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, you know, the, the people who held scriptural law um, and how they were applying law, you know, and you're telling me I can't heal on the Sabbath, you know, I mean, <laughs> he was pulling scripture from, from his, his scripture, the Torah and, um, and, and applying it in a way that was filled with love and grace and compassion and expanding it that, you know, expanding the idea of who is my neighbor. This is Bishop Shea of the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. We'll return in a minute with Reverend Jackie Fernandez. Thank you for listening. Practical Spirituality 
positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You've been listening to our series, Open Heart Conversations, offering dialogues from the world's religions and spiritual traditions. And so we look at the metaphysical ideas, so what's beyond, you know, what's on the page, you know, what what do the ideas in this story represent, and and how do those ideas show up in my life, you know, who is this character, Pharaoh, and how am I a Pharaoh in a given situation, you know, so so we we certainly are in a, a culturally Christian, spiritually eclectic, Excellent. Using the term of thought, the thought, and the idea you know, of thinking and applying your thoughts, and, and the term new thought is sometimes associated with unity. What is new thought, and how, how new is it anyway? Right? And so, new thought is not new. <laughs> and, you know, it's, uh, my favorite way to say it is ancient wisdom, new thought. And then that's very commonly heard. And so, new thought churches, <laughs> and, and new thought, good to, good to know, a little fun fact here, was, has been recognized by the Parliament of the World's Religions as, one of, as a denomination, as a religion. And so, new thought encompasses unity, uh, centers for spiritual living, Agape International, you know, that's uh, Reverend Michael Beckwith, um, TFAM, which is the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries, UFBL, and um, and so there are lots of other small groups, Religious Science, Divine um, Science, Divine Mind, um, and, and Unity is one of those. So, so New Thought really is not, you know, nobody is trying to pretend that this is a new new thinking, but it's it's taking ancient scripture and and making it new again. Thank you. I've never heard it positioned yeah. that way. And it also explains, because yes, how, how is unity different than agape and some of the other organizations so right right and there is an organization agnt which is a global new thought association of global new thought and we're all we're leaders from all of those organizations come together and and are you know working together more and you know we had i was fortunate enough to be at toronto for the 2018 parliament of world religions and and there was a great showing by the new thought community and so that was exciting to to really see us sort of come together because like i said it you know many of us were not really started for the purpose of becoming a church or a, a denomination, so to speak, but more about a teaching. So therefore you have, um, it, it's taken a while to get that kind of organization together and the structure together within each um, branch to, to be able to come together and, and, and be, um, be present to each other as opposed to like, well, we're going to go this way because we think this and we're going to go this way and everybody kind of going off in their own direction that there is a fullness to the teachings and, and enough um, that's in common that we can absolutely come together and, and have conversations that, that benefit all. Reverend Jackie, you, you've mentioned the Bible a few times. And so I'm assuming that you, you view the, the Bible as sacred scripture. So is that the case? And are there other scriptures that you also would consider sacred or inspirational um, or are places where you seek guidance um, to in furtherance of your spiritual life? Absolutely. You know, um, yes, we, we start with the Bible and, um, you know, of course that's where we find, you know, most writings about Jesus are in scripture and, um, and there are plenty of unity people and I, you know, I'm a Bible nerd. I love I love the Bible. So full disclosure, and um, I, I teach at the seminary, and um, and was teaching in our spiritual enrichment courses, the Hebrew Scriptures, and that's you know that's my jam. I love that. I write the Spirit of Scripture column for Unity Magazine, which is metaphysical interpretation, and 
and so this will help me segue into the rest of what I want to say is that I don't have to only use Bible scripture for that. It's spirit of scripture and I can use scripture from anything. So we have a, an openness about, you know, we, we don't, um, it, 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 I don't think you would find any unity person that would say that the Bible is the only um, scripture and only spiritual text that they use. And many don't even really use it that much and are not very attached. So you might sit in a unity church for five years and, and hear very little scripture on a Sunday service. It just depends on the minister. Um, or you might hear it every week if you're with me. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I also pull from other, you know, scripture and I really, you know, um, you know, from other texts, I'll say. So, you know, it, it, it's not uncommon for, um, for you to hear even, and I would say like sacred text, Rumi, you know, writings from Rumi. Um, and it's just, we have an openness about that. And we of course have a lot of unity books. Um, as I said, Myrtle Fillmore was a wonderful writer and, and has many books. Charles was, uh, he was a talker. And so his talks have been compiled into lots of books that, that we study so we can you know, work with his ideas. And, um, and of course, you know, just open to, to any text that's out there, even, you know, the, the uncanonized, the, the, um, scriptures that, you know, Book of Thomas and, and such that were not canonized. And um, there's definitely an openness to, to utilizing anything. You mentioned, you know, you, you, that each week you might hear me or one of your ministers. As I understand it, at least in the communities, uh, services are often on Sunday. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of unity churches will look like your pretty typical Christian um, service. You'll walk into a room that probably has pews or chairs that are set up much like you would any Christian church. Um, some, you might feel more like you're walking into a Buddhist temple. Um, some might have spaces that have both and or, you know, a meditation room or a prayer chapel that is more like a temple space. So um, there's, a, there's a lot of variation in that regard, um, depending on the culture of that specific church. Um, but the services will include, you know, prayer, singing, sermon, um, a time of meditation, and that will be a little different Um it's usually an extended time of meditation. And, and one thing that we do when we meditate is we include a time of the silence. And so that, that silence is really an important part of how we meditate because it's where that, that realization will come from, that, that true communion and openness to um, listening for divine delivery of, of message and of knowing and, and of, of, of that, that, that moment of communion. Um, so we'll have a time of the silence and then we'll come back in. And so it, other, other than that, it's pretty, you know, pretty typical to what you would expect for church on Sunday. Right. Now, I understand at the time of this particular recording, um, some of the churches aren't fully open yet. However, we expect that it'll go back to more traditional uh, capabilities soon. How do I find like a, a, is there like a local unity for me to go to? Or if I say this sounds all very interesting, um, you know, I, I certainly know where my Catholic churches. I know where the synagogue is, but how do I find a unity? Yeah, so unity.org is a great place to go, our website, and there is a, a, a page you can go find a church. And so you just type in your zip code, and it will show you the unity churches that are near you. Yeah, so unity.org. You also mentioned in a word also the, the evolution of the church. I understand there's a lot of women actively involved. Certainly women can be ordained as ministers, uh, I know some of them and have been exposed to some of them. Obviously, you're a female minister as, as I am. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit about that because that's not 
always common, particularly in Christian religion. It is not. And and to really understand the history of that is amazing to me. So I even wrote down a couple of facts because 1906 was the first ordination class for unity. And six of the nine ordinands were women. Wow. <laughs> in 1906, like take that in. And so when I came into Unity and the first time I was, you know, on campus at Unity Village where Unity Institute was at the time, there's a hallway that has all of um, the photos of the graduating classes of ordinance. And to walk down that hall and see the majority of people in those photos be women was that was life-changing, life-changing. So 1906, that included both Charles and Myrtle Fillmore because, okay, we're going we're gonna to start ordaining people. We might as well get ordained too. So they were in that class. But six of the nine people were women. Then they didn't ordain another group until 1918, and nine of the 17 were women. And then in 1933, all 11 were women. So, I mean, that's like, and after that, like nine out of 12 and, you know, and so, and after 1934, then there were yearly classes for ordinance all the way up until today. And it still is not uncommon for the majority to be women. So we have a really rich history in that regard that is, you know, I feel like is something that we haven't really sort of bragged about enough because it's, it's extraordinary <laughs> to be a woman. I mean, I honestly, I would have gone out straight to seminary out of high school if I had seen a path for myself to that, to ordination, but I grew up in traditional Christianity and I just didn't see a path. I had not heard of unity and, um, and didn't feel like that, that would be something that I could ever do. I had the experience uh, growing up uh, Lutheran and Jewish. It was not an option for me to go into ministry. Right, right. And it's extraordinary to have this unity experience with a long history. Like, it's just not a thing. It's, you know. What is what is the hierarchy? I've been able, uh, you know, I, I'm a bishop within our, our structure. Is is What's the hierarchy? Is there a, a person who's in, in charge of the ministry? Or is, what is the hierarchy? Well, Unity Worldwide Ministries is is kind of the governing body of, of the churches. And again, because they are um, giving the credentials, so you can be a licensed Unity teacher or you can be a minister. And so they're ordaining ministers and, and then credentialing the licensed Unity teachers. And, um, and then there are regional... Um, groups that uh, regional boards for all of the ministries, but there's not really um, so there uh, from a spiritual standpoint, like where a bishop might ha- have a, a spiritual leadership. There's not anything like that above minister. Um, Reverend Jackie, um, it's also my understanding that the Unity Church is extremely embracing of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, as, as full community members, as ministers, as leaders in the church. Could you speak a little bit to that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and for me, like my favorite thing to say is that as a queer woman of color, there are just not many places on this planet where I can be ordained. And unity is one of those places, you know, and that's like that kind of just openness um, has, you know, has been part of, of our history. And so, you know, I am not aware of any time where, a member of the LGBT community was not able to be ordained in unity. So, you know, because of our society, there were times I think where people were probably not open about that. Um, But there was never like, we never had to go through, okay, now we're going to ordain the queer community. There was never a need to give that kind of permission because it was always granted. It's funny. That's the way that I feel about the United Palace of Spiritual Arts as a, as a queer man uh, of color. Uh, and a minister and a leader within the community. Um, and it's, it's, it's just, it's, it, you know, I feel the fullness of my spiritual life and spiritual leadership can be expressed 
within the context uh, of his tradition, within the context of Heather's leadership. And um, it's magnificent. It's a magnificent there's, feeling. There's nothing like it because for our community, there there is such a history of having to separate our spiritual self from from our person, you know, and that that deep rejection by traditional Christianity is, is truly a deep seated pain. And, you know, and for me, you know, having grown up, you know, I, I felt like, even as a child, like I knew God when I prayed, I, I felt that closeness. And I had no context then later as an adult when you know, my sexuality emerged and, and changed and the church was like, no, I, I didn't feel that same rejection from God. I didn't have any concept of like, but if God is love and I feel like God loves me, then I, I didn't know what to do with that. So I stopped going to church. I stopped praying. I stopped reading my Bible because I, I couldn't find the answers that I needed there. And so I just thought, I just can't deal with it. Um, and it wasn't until I stumbled into a unity church, which by the way, I did for a part-time job as the AV director. And I thought, well, here I'll be in a church environment, but I don't have to participate. And, you know, but the joke was on me because it was my job to listen to three services every week. And, you know, and at first I was the, the usher who greeted me at the door the first time I went was a trans woman and there were gay couples. There were, everybody was at this church and I thought just walking around like they belong here, what is going on? You know, but that was, you know, that was how unusual that was. And this was like, you know, over 10 years ago. And um, so I just realized right away that there was something very different going on here and um, in listening. And then a woman in the pulpit and listening to these teachings, I'll tell you what the thing that like sort of gave me pause were the metaphysical teachings of the Bible, because I thought they're just making up whatever they want about these sacred scriptures. You can't do that. You know, I like I really struggled through this, but it just like I soon realized, actually, this is blowing everything wide open. I can actually have a deeper relationship with scripture if I'm not trying to force myself into a society that existed 2000 years ago, you know, because I don't, I'll never fit there. But if I can understand that there were people writing these texts who were expressing their experience of life and of God and, and working with ideas, I could actually meet them on the page as another person who is trying to figure out my experience of life and God. And, and I, and we actually have more in common than not. And I can just take that and, and still be in my own context. So it actually just blew everything wide open for me spiritually. And it was maybe a year after that before I started on the path for ordination. So it's it's just tremendously powerful to have a community that that will accept me as, as a fullness of who I am and in a very affirming way. That's extremely, extremely powerful. It, you said started on the path to ordination. Tell me a little bit about that. In the Unity Church tradition, how does one become a minister? So you have to take some prerequisite courses, which are spiritual enrichment courses, and those, you know, cover all of the basics and anybody can take those classes. So a lot of unity congregants will take them just to enrich their own spiritual path. And that's where you learn about the five principles. You'll learn about uh, metaphysical Bible interpretation. The 12 powers is another one of our core teachings, which, you know, Phil Moore, you clearly can see some um, relationship to the chakras, but the 12 powers are a system of, you know, another way to say it would be 12 attributes of God. And so there's like wisdom, love, imagination, zeal, release, 
order, dominion. Um, so there are 12, I'm going to go through all 12, but they, each power has a center in the body. And so there are ways to, um, to pray and to work on those powers. And, and they are, again, attributes of God. So the idea is we are always using or misusing the power. So for example, the power of imagination, if we're using it correctly, right, we're in the fullness of, of possibility and, and what we can create in our lives. And when we're misusing it, we are worrying, right? We're imagining everything that's going, that can possibly go wrong. And so that's like a misuse of that power. So it's not, you know, not like superpowers or anything kind of really woo woo. It's just, you know, that's, but that's a power that imagination comes from God, right? Like all of creation, look around you. And so that's an attribute that we're working through. So, so you'll go through kind of those basic formative, you know, unity prayer um, courses, and then you apply for ministerial school and um, that's unity worldwide spiritual Institute. And it's a master of divinity program. So it's, it, you know, it depends maybe like three or five years, depending on, um, how fast you pace yourself through that. It'll include internships with churches and you'll get your master of divinity, but the, the part, the, the path for ordination runs parallel to that. So you might end up with your master of divinity and not necessarily be ordained. Um, so in order to be ordained, you're also going through, um, we call them license and ordination interviews. So every year or so you're being interviewed by a panel of ministers and they're, you know, talking to you about how you're applying what you're learning and, and how you're growing and maturing spiritually. And then it's sort of a sort of checks and balance that, that all things are in good order before you become ordained. Yeah. Was very helpful. I was wondering about the 12 powers, cause that was something I've always been kind of curious as, as to what those are. Also, um, I know that some of the, the Christian holidays are celebrated. What, what holidays are celebrated? Yeah, absolutely. All the Christian holidays. And, um, and then we have World Day of Prayer, which I refer to as our High Holy Day. And it's the second Thursday um, in September after, you know, um, Labor Day weekend. And so this year it'll be on September 10th. And it's, you know, one day and we start on the Wednesday evening and it's a 24-hour period of prayer vigil. And what we do in preparation at Unity World Headquarters is we invite people to send um, prayer requests in on prayer slips. And so we get thousands and thousands and thousands from all over the world in every language, and they come bundled and, and they're brought in crates into the Silent Unity Chapel. And for 24 hours, people can gather there and you just pick up a bundle and you pray over it and you hold those prayers. And it's just extraordinary. And so, you know, we have festivities on campus this year. Of course, it'll be entirely online where there'll be guest speakers and music. And there's a candlelight walk across the courtyard, which again is just a beautiful experience, you know, to walk with hundreds of people silently. I know across these sacred grounds holding a candle and then that starts the 24 hours. So world day of prayer is a big deal for us. And then a commonly um, held practice would be the burning bowl at the, at the new new year time and the white stone ceremony. And so the burning bowl is where you write things that you want to release as you start the new year. Again, you clear that space. It's the idea you burn it, flash paper go away and and then you infill it with vision and um so the white stone ceremony typically happens the next week and that is taken from uh the teaching in revelation that prisoners in um in first century jerusalem would be given a white stone when they were released and they would write a name on it and that would be sort of a new identity so so uh through prayer and meditation you receive a word and that becomes like your word like your personal theme for the year and um, so those are, you know, not really holidays, but they are certainly um, practices that are, are widely um, used in unity. Jackie, uh, Reverend Jackie, you, you mentioned a little bit about how you 
came to to this tradition. Can you tell us a little more? What what how how did you um, discover the tradition? How did you discover your own uh, call to ministry? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, I, I stumbled into a Unity Church for a job. You know, it's me, the AV director, and it was my job to listen three services a week at the time. And you know, it just it just really blew up everything. You know, I had been looking for. Um, a connection to God in the context of my queerness and was unable to find it, was afraid to ask people. I didn't know who to ask. And, and when I saw what the unity context was, that it, there was just this openness and that everybody was affirmed, um, you know, it was scary. I mean, personally, I had such that a deep-seated belief that this was wrong, even for myself. And, um, and to think, okay, all these people are acting like it's okay. And <laughs> what's happening here, you know, so it took, it took some work uh, for me to really open up to, to what it means to be a beloved child of God and what it means to affirm the spark of the divine and that God is animating each and every one of us that you, you can't hold both um, that there is any limitation to, to who you are as a person and who you are, you know, to be a perfect expression of God. So that took some growing on my part. But like I said, I felt from a young age a call to ministry. So when I found that and it all came together, it just, it, it was, um, I th- well, I thought I was so old. You know, I was maybe 34. <laughs> I thought I was much too old to have a career change, like to go into ministry now. And um, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll become a licensed unity teacher. I love to teach. And, and that, that seems like it'll make more sense. Well, the first time I went to unity village for my, my first class to do that, I, I, it was, you know, like I could hear the voice of God that you're here for ministry. And so I didn't say a word to anybody for about six months because I was like, Oh man, I'm here for ministry. What does this mean? And, um, and so certainly I, I kept, um, on that path and uh, was ordained with the class of 2015. And um, it was a life-changing experience, life-changing. I love the concept of the calling because I know at the United House of Spiritual Arts, we have people who walk into the door and they think they're going to the theater um, or something. And all of a sudden, little by little, they end up becoming ordained. And I didn't know that I was coming here for that. I thought I was coming to see a movie or to see a show or, you know, I, I, first time I went, I never thought I'd be bishop there. I mean, it's, you sort of get this, some, some, something happens, but congratulations to you to listen to your calling. And I think hopefully some of our listeners who may not, or are starting to hear a calling, just know what happens and just to keep it, you know, it's real and keep exploring it. It is. And I love how you said that little by little, I was ordained. <laughs> That's exactly how it feels like. It's just like little by little. And all of a sudden there it is, you know, and it's, it's extraordinary. It's, you know, and it's, you know, it's a path of, of commitment to to be in that um, that beginner's mind. Yeah, you know? I, I was on a, a set Sunday, and somebody looked at me and said, you know, you're, you're going to be a spiritual director. And I said, great, what's a spiritual director? And I said, well, you know, you might want to go to seminary. And I, that was, by the next Saturday, I'd started seminary. My kids were like, mom, you didn't know you were going to seminary. I'm like, I didn't either. I just, it just happened. I don't know. You know, so, so sometimes, it, you know, when you least expect it, but I love, I loved your stumbling in. I think, I think there was a, um, a, a really wonderful intention of the universe for you to stumble in. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, and in, retrospect, yeah, in retrospect, I was, you know, I was being well cared for. I was being well cared for. Yes. Reverend Jackie, how, how would you see your mission within the church? 
How would you describe your mission within the church? You know, I really, um, you know, as an artist, you know, photographer, filmmaker, musician, I, I really, really click with the, you know, creative power and, and the idea that that divine pattern that we see in, in Genesis one of, you know, of creation of, you know, let there be light. That's divine idea um, to, you know, the separating water from waters is separating the form from the unformed. So how we bring our ideas into fruition, I really connect with that pattern. And um, so for me to help people come into touch and realization and understanding of their own creative power is like at the core of my ministry, because if you can do that, then you can do anything and, and you use it in the way, you know, that might not have anything to do with the arts for you. It might have to do with business. It might have to do with family. It might have to do with whatever your thing is. You know, we are each a unique, unrepeatable expression of that one power and presence. So, so you take it and go be you. But, uh, you know, I feel like at the core of, of my ministry is, is to help people to, to do that. And then, you know, as we live our spiritual practice and principles to do it ethically, you know, in, in terms of the planet, in terms of justice, in terms of, um, you know, social responsibility, that, that we, um, we be bearers of light for one another and for the world. I, I, I loved your explanation, and you probably explain spiritual artistry better than I, than I am. I, when I hear what you're talking about, that's an a, absolute description of what we see as a spiritual artist now. You know, that's our term, but what do you think of, like, when you hear the term spiritual artist? Spiritual artist, I love it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we're talking about is um, the art of, of being a spiritual person, which is, you know, how does this actually apply to my life? You know, an artist brings ideas into form and also reflects ideas. So it might be personal ideas or it might be reflection of an experience and, and brings it into form. So doing that spiritually is, you know, reflecting that presence of the divine is, you know, is, is, is also bringing new ideas and innovation into expression and in a way that is, um, you know, when we, we say it's per, uh, spiritual versus like just artistic expression, there is to me an understanding that it's for um, for the betterment of of life, of of bringing the divine forward, bringing the presence of the divine forward. So things like compassion and grace, you know, come into mind. So that we're creating safety uh, for one another to to be human, right? You've been listening to our series, Open Heart Conversations offering dialogues from the world's religions and spiritual traditions, recorded here at the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. Please visit us next time you're in Manhattan or online at upspiritualarts.org. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 